I realize your guys' show is for the lore, which seems like it actually for the lore, and it almost <laughs> works. You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Joining Roger is Joe, writer from WoW Insider and Amir, World of Madness, and Vince from Massive Nerd. <laughs> you could have been a contender. No. Funny how he wasn't available yet. He's but in the he's audience. He's here. Listen, look at that. Poor Matthew's going, well, I wasn't your first choice. <laughs> I figured I wasn't when you guys started asking on Twitter. I'm like, when you go to Twitter looking for somebody, that's pretty much a pretty good sign. That We're kind of opening taking, it up. You know, that means we get like, shot down by our other people. We'll take this guy. We'll, we'll take Hoogs at that point is when it boils down to. Hello, it's, it's exactly to- like when I did the other podcast uh, a few weeks back, and they were like, well, we need somebody really bad, so can we interview <laughs> can we, you? you? Like, on. okay. <laughs> I feel so special. Yeah. There's a warmth in my heart. Hello, welcome to For the Lord. This is Roger coming to you on Tuesday, the 24th of July. We are a day late, and it is Joe's fault. There's no if, ends, or buts. It, it is Joe's it fault. Is. And you will also notice that we are without Vince. Now, that is not Joe's fault. If you are a um, follower of Vince's on Twitter, or if you listen to the Combo Informer uh, podcast, you will have heard that Vince is actually going to be taking a few weeks off for some illness in the family. So if you guys want to show your support, either leave messages on the site or send him an email at vince at combocinformer.com. Show your support. Tell him you're looking forward to him coming back. Now, with that, though, we did put uh, some word out that we were looking for some uh, someone to come and take his seat and basically show him how it's done. And so who we got is Matthew Rossi, who is actually the uh, warrior and lore, right? Warrior for yep. WoW Insider? That's so, what I do. Yeah. That's... Now, coincidentally, we're actually not going to be talking about WoW this episode, but he does Good. play a lot of other games, so this should be a lot of fun. So very, very happy to have you here. Thank you. All right. I'm very glad we're not going to be talking about World of Warcraft because I only got so much. Yeah. You know what, though? <laughs> like, I, you know, I, I, I go to the well. It's like, oh, God, what now? No, what? Um, <laughs> I um, know that feeling, bro. I know that feeling. I'm just glad I don't have to do your job anymore. There was a time I had uh, to write your column. I remember. That was terrible. <laughs> I play a resto shaman. I don't even know what to talk about. Punching things? I like to punch things. Oh, God, I have to do another one. You don't write enough about this. You don't write enough about that. I hate you all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> your you're, houses you're, with pitchforks. Your commenters are not the nicest people, let's be honest. They, I, they've gotten to the point where I've been there so long that they're generally nice to me. It's like Grandpa on the rocking chair. You know, it's like you're not going to really mess with him too much. Plus, I hear he's insane and has a gun. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I actually did luck into a beta, though, for Miss, and I have Grandel Podcast to thank for that. When I was on there recently, he was saying that uh, I'd mentioned that I didn't have a key, and so he contacted me after and said that he had one and asked if I wanted it. So, actually, I have barely been playing, though. It's actually been my son has been playing the crap out of that. And like you'd been saying, Joe, too, he's been doing a ton of exploring. He's having so mm-hmm. much fun bouncing off of cliffs and finding all these little lore nuggets all over the place. 
Told you. Do want that, yeah. So, uh, so I told them already though that this week I would like to hopefully get a chance to actually play it. Uh, let's start in with some news right away because I know Matthew, you were dying to talk a little bit about um, what's going on with Kings Kingdoms of uh, Amler right now. And I just yeah, because yeah. you're from Rhode Island too. You were saying, and also yeah. with the recent news from EA, kind of they let it slip that they wouldn't mind taking on another one. Yeah, I found that amazing. I found it surprising Because um, I too. thought for sure King Amalur was as dead as, you know, disco or, you know, platform shoes. I didn't think there was any way that they, anybody would even be thinking about a sequel to that game. And not that it was a bad game. I mean, that's the thing is, as I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and they pointed out that Kings of Amalur was effectively already done when when uh, 38 Studios bought them, you yeah. know, and it they basically just reskinned it with Amalur to t- try and drive some interest towards the MMO. But it was, it was a pretty good game all told. Um, well, see the thing they... to keep in mind here too, though, is that yes, it was bad press, but it was bad press for 38 studio studios and shilling. It was yeah. not bad press for kingdoms. What it did is it brought kingdoms to so much attention. And because most of the people said it was a damn good game and we're sorry that this happened because we would have liked another one. Yeah. And that's exactly what EA said, that they were interested in, you know, trying to, to see if the remnants of, of the studio could get together and, and do another one. The problem, of course, is who owns the rights first off. Well, Rhode Island and does that, right now. Right now, but Rhode Island has only got them in receivership. It's one of those questions of does somebody have to pay Rhode Island seventy five you know million dollars before they get to make a Kingdoms of Amalur two, or can a deal be worked out? That's part one of the problem. The other thing that's interesting to me though is, it just the idea of this game coming back. You know, it would be really nice if the if they could get the studio to come back. I know right now most of them are part of the Epic Baltimore yeah, studio, mm-hmm. and I'd like to see if you know maybe EA could make a deal with them. That would be great. I'd love to see something get salvaged out of this because it really wasn't a bad game. It had like a really interesting the, – the fate system was an interesting approach to the whole standard sword and sorcery fantasy thing. Uh, it it kind of did what Fable wanted to do. Like I don't know if you guys played Fable 2 or 3. Oh, yeah. Oh, I did. yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it did what Fable wanted to do, and I think Fable got closest in Fable 3 to doing what the, what the same kind of thing. But with the Destiny system in, in Kingdoms of Amalur, it really worked – to make you to make you feel like you could do whatever you wanted if you just did a few things differently, uh, so I'd like to see it. But the other thing about it, what got really got me though, is that it, this was an attempt by a, a small state to make itself a power in, in a growing industry. They wanted to attract people, and it's it's really a shame that they hitched their their cart to this. To, yeah, yeah. Yep. because. I would have actually liked to see other states try and create their own little, you know, gaming meccas, try and get into this, you know, because it's not an industry that needs a Hollywood. No. The thing, too, is that, I mean, the gaming industry can make a lot of money and there, well, there's more money to be made than there is in, you know, movies and TV and music. So they can do it. And instead of putting the money, as the states typically do, in tried and true other types of businesses this was something where they're taking more of a chance but had they again worked with a company that wasn't so poorly managed and they could have actually pulled something out of it then it would have looked good then for other states to offer such deals to other development studios i'm actually really hoping that rhode island can get something out of this for that reason like maybe if they make a kingdoms vomola tour rhode island can see some of its money come back and it won't be as heartbreaking a situation for them 
Uh, one of the things that really gets me about all this, though, is that what it really shows is that AAA MMOs are not profitable to develop. No. At yeah, but they time. were developing them at the same time as they were also still doing some work on Kingdoms. Plus, Kingdoms again, was, yeah, but they bought Kingdoms. Let's be honest. They bought... Ep- they, they yeah, bought but they still had to do some before. work, too. And again, yeah. when you're looking at how much he paid those top-tier people that he had working under him, I'm going to go and get the best. Yeah, well, the best costs you money. When you're a starting studio, you don't do that. And so You let people spent... make a reputation. You let At people your studio, exactly. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's all well and good to have a, you know, triple A title guy come in and help you along. But, I mean, when you look at everybody he had, of course it's going to break yeah. you. And the thing is, that too, I mean... Doing the deal when he did seems an awful lot like a transparent attempt to recoup some of the money he dumped into it. But getting aside from that, because we don't want to talk about this all day. No. Really, the the thing I, I, I'm hoping to see is I would like to see another Kingdom of Zelda because I'd like to see what they would do with it. Well, I'd like to agreed. see like if we got Epic Baltimore to do it, what are they going to do with the property now that they don't have to attach it to anything else? Agreed. Agreed. That's ideally what I would like to see is Epic Baltimore take it over, make some sort of deal with Rhode Island, whatever it is, not necessarily buying it on the cheap, but working with them on percentages of sales once it's done kind of thing. And there's no denying it's going to make money when it comes out simply because that name now is crystallized in people's brains. They are going to remember it and they'll, they're going to remember that, damn, I wish it would have worked because it was a good game. It's going to work in their favor. One would hope. What's that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, one would hope. Okay, but let's that's move. It. Yeah, let's move on to a little bit of other news, though. And this actually came about last week, but then we we took last week off. Um, and that was the news about Batman and what Rocksteady is planning to do with the next Batman. That's now, just weird for me, man. It's, I, think I don't it's know about Joe. Interesting. I, to, I read that stuff. I mean, I read all that stuff uh-huh. when it came out. You see, I think lot. it's we, interesting, we and I think I think that Joe can can attest to this too. If done properly, and if written in the context of who Batman was at that time, not the goody two-shoes that you saw in the comics, but mm-hmm. like that some of the stuff was rough, it actually could be pretty damn cool. You'd have to, you know what you'd have to start from? There's a story called The Joker's Five-Way Revenge, which is considered the end of Batman's Silver Age and the beginning of his quote-unquote oh, Bronze yes. Age. It's the first story where the Joker comes back after not having been in the comics for like a decade. And the reason they retired the Joker was because he was looking like a complete idiot. Whenever they, they had to use him in the, the like the 50s and 60s, they had to let him be a, a fool because he couldn't be so effective that made Batman look bad that he never stopped him. You know? Yep. So they retired the Joker. Then when I think it was uh, Denny O'Neill decided to bring him back in the Joker's five-way revenge, he brought him back as a sociopathic murderer because that's what he'd been in the, th- in the 30s and 40s. The Joker used to just whack people in the yep. strangest ways imaginable. Like he'd, he'd poison a dude's cat with one part of a binary compound so that it would scratch him and kill him. Yeah. That kind of thing. Well, see, that's what they're going to be doing, too, coming up. We heard about that at Comic-Con, where there's a new story arc with uh, Batman that's going to be coming out. That, or, sorry, with the Joker that sounds like it's going to be absolutely phenomenal, along the same lines as the killing yeah. joke. Very they, psychological. Again, They if have to return to that from do time that. to time. Yeah. yeah. And they yeah, can do absolutely. that with classic Batman, too. It doesn't have to be the new, modern, gritty look. It can work in that time period as well. well I mean, you can look at L.A. Noir as well, and you can see how atmosphere can be put into period pieces as well still well if you you know like i read a lot of the like if they're, they're doing it probably in the the style of the late 70s early 80s i would think 
not because they're not going to go back to the '60s. That's that's a little too. And they're not going to do the '50s. I don't think they can go no. back that far. Well, plus, I mean, the only other time you could do it would be the '40s. The '30s and '40s, when Batman was straight up a, it's a basically a Zorro-esque crime melodrama type thing. With his Thompson, don't forget. Yeah, yeah. We're you know, at one point I remember reading a story where Batman hangs acromegalic giants with his bat plane. And just flies away with them dangling by the throat underneath the plane until they die. And he says things like, dead, poor bastard, but it was better him than us. <laughs> you know, that was the Batman of the 30s and 40s. This is a dude who straight up walked into a room, said, oh, hey, vampires made silver bullets and shot them. You know, and not, I guess he didn't. He had the whole werewolf vampire thing confused. Or perhaps he was like, well, heck, silver bullets work for everything. <laughs> well, of course they do. <laughs> but when I was reading the, the, what Rocksteady is going to do, I don't know if Joe remembers this. Do you remember the KG Beast? Yes, I do, actually. Did you notice that one of the things in the article they said they want to make Bane like a Soviet? And I'm like, yes. going, it's the Which KGB. Was, yes, the KGB. Yeah, I, remember, I, I noticed KGB's. that right away. Yeah, I was. The thing is, is he doesn't need Batman of the of the the 70s and 80s has that rogues gallery already. You don't need to pull in like tons of new characters. You could just go with like the Scarecrow, uh, KGB, a few others. They, he's got them already. Just just be careful. You don't like hook him up with Black Lightning and Katana. As long as you leave those people out of it, you're golden. See, you know? I'm actually going to say that I would be all right with the 50s even, or even earlier. I would be all right with that. In fact, I think I would even prefer that to a 70s or 80s. I think well, that they, and again, they might have to take some creative licenses, of course, with the character and with certain things, but I really would like to see that. I think it could be a lot of fun. And in, in a setting that we're not seeing enough of in games, I'm tired of the same crap that we're seeing, the same settings. Yeah, well, the thing is with Batman, if you're going to do like the 30s and 40s in an asylum or even related to the asylum, you know who's going to be in it. It doesn't have to be the asylum, though. It could be but, anywhere. But if you're doing an Arkham, the Arkham universe as a prequel... You know, you're probably going to involve the asylum in some way, and you know who's going to be the main villain. And I'm all for it if they decided to do it. Hugo freaking Strange. Strange. Yeah. Yeah. Hugo Strange, the guy that breaks out of prison just at the drop of a hat. The guy whose plan involves, well, I'm going to make people into nine foot tall killing monsters. That and the, that's your evil plan, right? No, no, that's just the first step. They're going to run around and do horrible things while I engage my actual plan, which is to find out who Batman is. You're turning people into nine-foot-tall monsters just to find out who Batman is, but you're not even going to unmask Batman when you get him? Well, that would be too easy. I, I don't think See, they'd use Strange again, though. I, well, I, I, know, I don't the think problem. they would. I think that they'd go to something else. But it, but it's a, that same type of villain that they could start using in that era as well, which is kind of the point of it, right? You don't have the, the genetic mutations like you do uh, in the no modern-day Spider-Man. You don't have all the technology. So it's it's very... You know, a lot more detective work, a lot more, you know, maniacal geniuses, a lot more really sick fuckers that are these these villains. So it gives you the opportunity to completely sort of do a 180 because, like, everybody sees Killer Croc and they don't think that he's a smart villain because he's not. He's a dumbass. He's just a, a giant, hungry man with scaly flesh. But they have, like, and I thought that was one of the more interesting things where they started talking about uh, the Silver Age version where they talked that he was a... Uh, a children's show host that gets yeah. fired. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, that was, that's an interesting twist because stuff like that happened back then. People, I mean, it happens now, but I mean, these people went on to become like serial murderers and stuff like that. And it's an interesting twist because that's something that right now we don't hear a lot about like in the news. And it's not something we really, people get fired. It's like, oh, they get depressed or they go find another job or if they can find another job. But you know, it's like, 
okay, you get depressed, you you lost your job, and now you're gonna go on a murderous rampage. It's just it's a completely different type of villain than than what you would expect to see. And I think that's kind of the important part and something that they could do that would be really, really cool. Start turning these villains completely around. Just make them something that you hadn't originally expected or something that's maybe a little bit more deeper and darker than what they were. Well, see, by going back to the original Batman 2 and making him that much more violent, then it's something that allows them to have a lot of fun with the character while still being accurate to the canon that exists Mm -hmm. and educating the gamers that, yes, this is actually who he was back then. Enjoy for a while. And then the people get to play the Batman that they wished they could play as, that Batman that just does not put up with any shit, period, kind of thing. Just as long as they don't bring back the Batman of Zuranaw. Or if they do, they do it like the Morrison comic, where he's just crazy <laughs> as heck. I like the crazy as heck one. So, yeah. it will be interesting to read more about this as it is coming out, definitely. I, I'm really, really hopeful that we're going to see something oh, and unique it's, it's and rock different. steady. So. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Who so, are they getting to do the voice before we move on? I did not read that. I would think the if, same people. Ke- Kevin Conroy well, no, would be able to do Conroy's it. Conroy's supposedly done doing it. When was that announced? Although he had said he was done doing it actually back as far back as DC Universe Online, and then they talked him into doing a couple of Justice League movies. Like he was in the most recent Justice League movie, they got him and Tim Daly to come back, and uh, then he did the Rocksteady games. And he keeps saying every time he does one, he's like, "I'm done. I'm not doing Batman anymore." Then like someone's like, "But we're doing this." He's like, "Yeah." Mark Hamill's like, "I'm not really not doing Batman anymore, Robin, doing Joker anymore." And they were like, "But what about?" He's like, "Oh, money. I can't say no to you." Well, at the same point too, like uh, even at, and this is kind of an interesting thing, just to kind of go back to San Diego Comic Con. Did you get? Did you see the hour long panel where they had all the voice actors reading off the Star Wars script? Yeah, I did. I did see that. No, I didn't. Okay, Kevin Conroy. When well, the funny part was, they asked him to do one of his other characters, and he can't do it. He can only do Batman. Now. <laughs> like it's it's, it's like how he's is been that asked a bad so thing? It's like it, it's not, but it's like that's his default setting. So like they asked him to do another voice, and it just came exactly out like Batman. <laughs> Actually, to be honest with you. My Kevin Conroy voice is, in fact, an impersonation, and I usually just talk like Batman. (laughs) (laughs) The Justice League is under attack. By who? By me. me. All right, let's move on to some Borderlands 2, because we got a crap ton of Borderlands news at San Diego Comic-Con. A lot of stuff that, I swear to God, this just keeps getting better and better every time we hear anything about it. We got the absolutely awesome... Wimoway trailer, which is in typical Borderlands fashion, just fantastic, just utterly fantastic. But we got so much news about what's going to be going on in the with the classes, with the skill trees, with the different looks that you can give the them, NPCs. with the all of the NPCs. Dina's departer. Tea party, dear lord, if that is not enough to get you to buy this game when they are talking about what's happening with this little girl's tea party and you're listening to all the dialogue and then when you find out that the voice of Tina is actually the lead writer's sister (laughs) because he kind of based her on his sister... Everything I read about and saw this weekend was great. And of course, when you're seeing Randy Pitchford, he is so excited about this game. He's as excited as we are as gamers about his own game. Joe, what did you see that really got you going? Um, as far as everything, one of the cool things that, that I really saw, or one of the things that made me really happy, when they explained the length of time between the games, like that was really interesting yeah. to me. 
Because we, we're getting in this mode where our sequels tend to be, you know, 40, 50, 60 years later. In here, it, they explain the difference between Earth and Pandora. 40 Earth years equals one Pandora year. And the events in Borderlands 2 takes approximately, takes place, what, five years five after years. Borderlands five 1? Earth years from Borderlands 1, yeah. Yeah, five Earth years. So that's, that's pretty close to technically kind of really to what happens on Pandora the first time around. So while things have changed, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they change in that small period of time. I kind of wish they'd, they'd given it a little bit more time so that, uh, although, I mean, it would have meant creating a whole bunch of new assets, whereas now they can just reuse the same ones. Um, because they're showing how you're going to be seeing a lot of your favorite characters like Moxie and, of course, Claptrack and Marcus. Marcus with that gun. No, it seems to be working <laughs> fine. And uh, Dr. Zed and all that. But not just that, but, of course, the play playable classes that you played in the first one i wish that they had gone you know another 10 years in the future let's see them age a little bit and find out what happened in that time in between the games be it through some quests or through some stories that you hear or something that you read that yeah, would have been better doesn't like kind of like isn't that kind of what the meat of people coming back to borderlands is though like if, if you do all that if you push it 10 or more years ahead and, and cut out like you make you they all aged more and here's what happened i i don't know i think people want to see it now they want to play through it rather than have it given to them down the road you know what i mean i agree yeah but you I, can I, always I, get I new stuff later too i mean it's not like you're not going to be getting new shit that's going to be well awesome yeah, to I know. play through but later I think on that, i think that too it's, it's less a matter of them reusing assets because it's borderlands they could do any damn thing they want uh they it's it's more about them wanting to keep people happy, really. They want to give people what they're looking for. If you want, if you play Borderlands and you're going to play Borderlands 2, you're doing so because you're attracted to those characters. So give them all to them now. And you can do another. God knows that this, there's probably going to be a Borderlands 3. Oh, yeah. They, so. This is a oh, yeah. money machine for them now. They know that. So uh, other things that we found that was interesting, there's going to be a Twink Vault. So you're going to be able to put all of your stuff so that you can, you know, you don't have to worry about trading items between your characters and whatnot. The slot machines in the bar is fairly cool. You're going to lose a crap load of money for the most part. But you, I was a little eh about that. You do have a chance to win a gun. I just think that it's something that'll be cool to do that is, again, gives you that little bit more immersion in the game. It's just a little go over, put a little bit of money in, see if you want. If not, ah, no big deal, walk out. It's instead of just being a static background kind of thing. So I, I thought that was neat. Uh, what else? Um, Sanctuary looked awesome. Like, it's a lot bigger. There's a lot more going on. I really was impressed with what they did there. I thought it was interesting they're going to have customization linked to having played the previous game. Yes. Yes. Like, you know, not that they're limiting customization because you didn't, but if you did, you yeah, get more right. options. I thought that yeah. was really an interesting way to a way to bring continuity between games without doing the the, the thing some games do where you import the same character. Well, not uh, just like that, but it's, of, that, it's yeah. that cookie as well for you guys. Like, you supported us back then. Here. Here's a little bit more. Yeah. I think that's a nice touch. Um, I don't. I don't. The whole like slot machine thing kind of freaks me out. <laughs> it's like video games are already kind of addictive. The last thing I need is you to put your yeah, gambling in them. Exactly. Um, it's like, oh lord, now I'm broke. I, I also oh, like the uh, that we found out that there's going to be a 58 hour campaign. Yeah, that in, is in the days of awesome. when game campaigns tend to be shorter. Yeah, I mean campaigns have been shrinking. The so average. The average. Hours. 
the average game campaign right now is sitting between eight and twelve hours. Jeez. That's the average, average Call of Duty campaign is as long as it takes for you to finish a beer for Christ's sakes. Yeah, it's twenty awesome. hours is long. Yeah, yeah, this is awesome. So, but so I like this hours. too because the thing it makes sense here because Borderlands is not your typical kind of get together first person shooter that you just have regular maps that you go and use here it's about getting together to do various quests so of course you're going to want that to be longer to encourage people to keep bouncing in and playing and playing yeah, together no, plus i mean too is a lot of borderlands play people don't even really care what the objective is i don't you know about so. that i don't know about that i think that people do and that's why they kind of went out of their way with the rpg aspects that they're putting into it this time around as well and why they got so mad at the ending of the game in the first exactly one too. they understand that you need more than just shooting things in the face yeah but you shoot things in the face so well yes i'm not going to disagree <laughs> with you on that and with so much style i, I don't know oh well, speaking of style Gunzerker. dude the you know what's funny is that the Gunzerker was one of the classes that i kind of looked at and thought okay well that'll be awesome but not my favorite, but then seeing more of him in the videos that they showed, yeah, it is actually pretty goddamn awesome. The uh, of course Zero was the epitome of style. My God, mm -hmm. that that is killing with style, is what that is. And the Siren was great too. And I I like how they're even bringing it together even more than the first one in terms of group play mattering that it is a group composition that you know you don't have to have one of each but it's sure going to help for certain encounters if you have the the siren doing some healing kind of things and the and the different other classes so that i, I really like that a lot yeah i know for well i'm going to be playing an accident so i don't know why i don't have anything to talk about there yeah i know oh, what i, I do, like, do yeah i like the siren reveal video too I don't know if you guys caught that, where yep. they actually showed the actress that got all done up in that actual getup. Yep, very awesome. Probably, yeah. It's just, like, there's a lot of little touches that are being put into this game. Um, like, the uh, audio-video flashes that kind of flop in uh, here and there. Like, the faces that come up. Um, there's just all sorts of cool little stuff, little cool little tidbits on the visual side of things, too. Which is just so awesome to see like there is actual little upgrades or things being done differently. That's so. why I don't think it has anything to do with art assets. I don't think that they're at all worried about reusing anything. If they reuse stuff, it will be purely to be a callback. Well, I, I think they're going to be dumping tons of money into this game. I'd say that, but again, that's not the only reason, of course. But you can't deny the fact that it is easier from a development standpoint to go that close. Because then you don't have to worry about writing what happened during the time in between. Yeah, so there is there, a lot saved by doing it like five years apart. I'm not disagreeing with you so much as I just think that it's going to be... It's much more of a situation that I don't. I think that they want to do... They, they want to do Borderlands 3, maybe Borderlands 4, maybe Borderlands Tactics true, at some point, true, for all I true. know. Yep. No, I agree. Oh. And if they decide to do that, I'm all for it. And I, I, that's not to take away from it being only five years. Again, I think that's going to be fantastic. And I am looking forward to it. I just would have liked more time to show that... The, the, to tell us the stories about the in-between. I mean, that's what we're all about kind of thing. Uh, what else? We also found out that they're putting a lot of effort into the elites that you're going to encounter and how there's going to be multiple phases that are going to require cool. different strategies to 
to to to take them down more effectively. I mean, Borderlands One, if you were well decked and if you had a good spec, you really didn't worry about multiple phases. You just went and shot. And so this is going to be cool because you're actually going to have to think on your feet. I really like that. And then uh, badass ranks. That was kind of neat. Little cookie so that the more you play, the the better you play, you are going to be rewarded and be able to put points here and there as well to tweak your character out. And then uh, last thing, too, that I was really interesting, interested in is when he was, uh, Pitchford, when he was talking about the coding for this, because, yes, they're bringing in the Mechromancer, but he was saying how they want to be able to bring in other character playable classes as well which got me really really excited because nothing's gonna bring me back to that game faster once i played all of these four than a new class being introduced i should say you mean five. The, the, the one that they said they're going to do it for dlc yeah the, the the following ones not the macromancer but later on he was saying how they're going to they've coded the game in a modular fashion so that it's easy for them to add further dlc characters that you can then play i I'm all over that. I think that's fantastic. That is interesting. Yeah. The game will continue to grow. That's what I get out of it. Well, they've proved that they can do DLC well, too. That's the thing. Yes. So oh, absolutely. we love the DLC that they put out. Um, so knowing that and knowing that we're looking at not just fantastic questing and new items and things like that that they're going to introduce in new zones potentially through the dlc but hey we're gonna slap in a new playable class in there at the same time oh my god dude seriously <laughs> yeah i would love that okay so if that's it with that let's move on to a little bit of the darker side that we found out there's a couple of games that should be interesting if you are into some horrors and the first one being slender joe you found this i'll let you take it yeah, this one I actually found, uh, strangely enough, through just watching Twitter conversations. And I noticed there were a bunch of people uh, who were just tweeting back and forth about this game, talking about making it, literally making them shit in their pants. Uh, the game is, it's an independent horror game, uh, very much in the style of like Silent Hill and Amnesia, where your character is basically running around and what you have is you have a flashlight. And what I thought was really cool about the videos that I found so far was the atmosphere of it. And it is terrifying, not because there's a ton of, like, just sounds everywhere or, you know, it's just it's the visuals like it's very realistic. You can see this being a real place and, you know, turning around and catching that glimpse of that that slender man in that suit without a face. Um, that is enough to creep you out. There's all sorts of little cool things like that. Uh, and then when there is sounds like when you're going through like the buildings, um, if you have your headphones on and you watch the, even if you watch the videos, you can hear all sorts of things like scratching behind the walls and things like that. So it's, it's really interesting to see such care being put back into the horror genre of gaming because it is such a really, I think, underutilized like format. Horror is good. Even Alan Wake. Alan Wake was sort of, I want, I want to call it horror light, but it was really good at fucking with your mind in a lot of aspects. And the story was solid. And we've seen other horror games that have come out where it's like the, the story is already there. Like Amnesia is a great one where you go through and you feel it as if you are that character. You get sucked in and you, you feel a lot of ways like you're experiencing what that, that character is experiencing. And Slender seems like it's going to be doing the exact same thing. So it's kind of cool. Now, we don't know much about the story of it just quite yet, um, but it's just really, really good to see the horror genre getting some love. The only thing that really kind of, I don't want to say bothered me, but it's a story about a guy with a flashlight going through the forest looking for pages of a story. 
You said that you felt Blair Witch in way. Seriously, yeah. does that sound like anything <laughs> you yeah. just minute, mentioned two minutes ago? It's oh, Alan Wake. So it's like, uh, I, that's pretty blatant. So I'd have to see when more comes out to see what they're going to do. But wow. Yeah. Well, plus, I mean, it, you know, it's visual stuff is often is pretty inspired by Blair Witch as well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not just talking about the visuals of what you see. I'm talking about the way they present it. Mm-hmm. That idea of, you know, terrifying you with the unknown. See, the thing is, the last game I really loved, the last horror game I really loved was was Dark Corners of the Earth. The uh, Lovecraft, the Call of Duty oh, game. Oh, yes. Okay, that was that was and, a while ago. Yeah, that was back, that was right when the, the Xbox 360 came out, I think. Yeah, right at the beginning. And so, it's been a while. So, I'm, I'll, I'll keep my eye out, and if this one works for me, great. I do think we need, we would, it would be good if we got more horror games. The problem with horror games is that games themselves tend to present a power fantasy and horror needs mm. to be based in a lack of power. Like you fear of the unknown is the strongest fear sort of thing. So games like this have to address that. It sounds like it did. I haven't seen this game yet. So, well, yeah, but you I can think... still make it work when you're looking at games oh, like yeah. uh, doom, when you're looking at games um, like uh, the... dead rising, things like that. Doom, I mean... doom and dead space, dead space is specifically for me. Dead space one, the original dead space actually felt like a horror game. Yes, it and felt like you again, were trapped. When you're looking you at amnesia and Alan Wake too, you say light, but I tell you what, you play that shit with <laughs> the lights off. It was creepy as hell, and I loved it. Alan Wake was definitely not. I would say Alan Wake was definitely much more about making you think about what you were afraid yeah. of. It was more, much more cerebral. Yes. Yeah. But I, I prefer that than just shit jumping no, out sure. at you. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I, I'm just saying, like, to use Dead Space versus Dead Space Two as an example. Dead Space, the original Dead Space, was definitely about horror. It was about your feeling of powerless and confusion at what was going on and being put in helpless situations. And Dead Space 2 is, now you've got this plasma cutter that will cut things in half. Yep. Are you scared? Because you shouldn't be, because this thing's going to cut things in half. And, and I don't there's know. Dead Space 3 that's shifting completely away from that. Yeah. Oh, well, then you're getting attacked by drill bits. Come on. <laughs> that's scary drill shit. <laughs> and we can look even closer to The Walking Dead from Telltale Games, which has creepy ass moments and again it's, oh, yeah. it's 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 not the really scare the bejesus out of you kind of game but it is still qualifies as a horror game that again played with the lights out and really you got your earphones on and you get sucked in it will it's a blast and i'm really looking forward to future episodes which speaking of which the next one is actually coming out in august can't wait so yeah uh, another one too is, of course, staying on with zombies. Is Zombie U? We got a little bit more information about Zombie U for from uh, SDCC. We got actually several videos came out for that that I was really freaking impressed with this game. The more I'm seeing, not just footage, but the more that they're talking about it too, the more I'm loving it because it's not going to be your typical zombie hunter game where you are expected to survive. No, here you are expected to survive for as long as you can. You are going to die. And I like that. That means that, you know what, your gaming session ends. You can get up and go do something (laughs) and just have a fantastic time for however long you can stay alive. I... My God, the more I'm seeing, the more I'm loving this. I'm just hoping it gets away from the, you know... One of the things we've moved towards in gaming is stuff like Lollipop Chainsaw, where the, where the zombies have become a joke. Uh, I don't know. I haven't played Lollipop Zom- or, uh, Chainsaw well, yet. Well, Lollipop Chainsaw is, in my opinion, unplayable. Oh, really? It's that bad. The control scheme is that bad. 
it's there's actually an interesting game in there. Like the concepts aren't as bad as I thought they were going to be. The TNA isn't as blatant as I thought it was going to be. And there's actually some moments of subversion in the plot where the main character is, is written with an awareness of what it is. That, right. that actually work. It's not as terrible as I thought it was going to be as a story. As a game, it is far, far worse. Because it makes the same mistake that company does with everything. And I can't remember the name of the development company right now. But the control scheme is just hideous. It's so bad. Hmm. I, I, I walked away and was like, I'm not playing this again. I'm not even looking at it again. I'm done. Well, I don't foresee that happening with this here. I mean, no, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a new the, control the scheme. Use, so. Yeah, the Wii U's look looks like like I'll take me a while to get used to it, and I'll probably, I don't know, I'm probably not going to buy a, like the the Wii U myself, at least not right away. But I'll probably go to a friend's house and play it there. No, I'm actually yeah. the more I've been seeing, I'm damn close I'm to saying day one. Be buying one. Yeah, yeah, I'm really digging it. And again, I I look at it in terms of what Microsoft wants to do with introducing the tablet thing so that you can do different things while you're gaming. But here, the tablet's in the middle, easily accessible, you can do everything. So again, they showed how you are hacking doors, how you're going through your backpack to do di different things to change weapons and all that. And it, it it fits, it's much more organic, it's easier just to swipe and do whatever you're gonna do while still keeping your eye on the big TV. I think that the potential is there for games, especially like this. I'm hoping that uh, as well with Assassin's Creed 3, I mean, it's not going to have as many controls through the gamepad, but maybe they'll put a few more. Um, different things like that. It just, and well, of course, um, uh, damn it. What was the name of that game? Damn it. I can't remember. Rayman. Uh, yes, the stuff that Rayman. we saw with Rayman. Holy crap and hell. Like, it just, I'm really excited for what they're going to do. So, again, when I'm seeing stuff here, like with the Zombie U, I have actually a surprising amount of faith in, in it, and I'm really looking forward to it. Well, if Japan can't make a survival horror game, then they need to talk to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if you guys can't figure this thing out, you invented it. You need to figure out why you're not doing it right anymore and start doing it right. <laughs> I still remember the first time I played Silent Hill. You know, yeah. And I had no idea what that game was. I had no clue. I just it came with the PlayStation I bought. <laughs> <laughs> I bought a PlayStation used for like cheap, and it came with the Silent Hill, and I played it. And I was like, three days later, I realized I had missed my... Uh, the, I'd missed the class I was supposed to be a teaching assistant in because <laughs> I stayed home to play Silent Hill. So uh, if those guys got a day off, it was because of Silent Hill. Wait. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I don't – my only problem is that, to me, zombies are kind of overplayed. Like, well. I'd really like to get away from zombies. But saying that, I'm willing to give it a shot just to see if they can, can handle it differently. If they can pull uh, Shaun of the Dead out and give me a different kind of zombie experience – doesn't have to be funny. I'm not saying it will be funny. I'm just saying it'd be different. The thing with the yeah. zombie stories is that, and this is a quote from Jonathan Mayberry when we interviewed him on the Comic Book Informed podcast, where he was saying that a zombie story is not a story about the zombies. It's a story about the people about the who survivors. are alive yeah. during that time and what happens to society and things like that and how they survive. So that's why, in my opinion, you can never have too many zombie stories because if properly written, then the potential is there to have an app absolutely fantastic story so and i mean i don't foresee that there's going to be as much writing needed for a zombie U. that's not necessarily the type of game although i'm curious to what extent there will be how much are we going to figure out about what happened about how to survive about things like that kind of thing well the difference it's basically the original novel day of the triffids just with zombies because it's about what you do after the, uh, the yeah. fall of yeah. everything so I, right. I get that aspect of it 
But like I said, I just I remember when they remade um, I Am Legend with Will Smith as, yep. as the main star, and they got, they well had they changed a depress- it too. They had a depressing ending at the very end, and that was actually I've seen that version. That version is a lot better. Uh, and the problem well, is, it's too you know, they cast Will Smith, and they they were too afraid to let him be unlikable at the end. Yeah, and they shouldn't have been worried about it because, quite frankly, Will Smith does not know how to be unlikable. Well, like, they could tell Will Smith, we're casting you as a guy who you know assaults dogs with with, <laughs> with pitchforks. By the end of the movie, you'd be like, those dogs deserved it, Will Smith. <laughs> the thing too is that they had a lot to to deal with because, quite frankly, the the movie is very has very little to do with the book. Yeah, so, because the only time that anyone's ever adapted that book faithfully was the first time. So, I mean, it's it's not well, that, that really matters. they did the low-budget Omega Man. Even that, the Vincent Price take, The Last Man on Earth, is actually the closest I've ever seen to the to the book. Like The Omega Man is... It's Charlton Heston, I'm sorry. He just, he just Charlton Heston's no, no, it up all no, no, over. No, 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 they, they did, um, they did an, uh, at the same time that I Am Legend was released, there was this... There's this company that does all these knockoff movies. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. The guys that do Transmorphers and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So they did they did their version of I Am Legend, and it was damn close to the book. <laughs> like they they kept the ending, but they called it Omega Man. And I thought at first I thought it was just the Charlton Heston movie, but I looked at it, I was like, huh, this is a low budget film. But yeah, no, I, I pulled, took it home, watched it, and it was pretty damn faithful to it. But with like we're talking about here, back to just the zombie U. The the interesting thing that's going to be about it is there are certain inevitabilities, right? You have you know you're going to die at some point. Some point in this game, you are going yeah, to explode or get eaten. It's a time trial, basically. Exactly. How long yeah. can you keep going? Yeah. But it's it's what are we going to get in that time frame? Zombies exactly. are just sort of the vehicle. So I'm really kind of excited for it. The interface, I think, is is for lack of a better term, as realistic as we're going to get it unless we're in the field during a zombie invasion. And I like the fact that you have to time, like, allocate your time. You're looting a body, you have to look away from the screen. That's a problem because if you're by yourself and there's nobody watching your back, things sneak the fuck up on you. <laughs> and you can see that in many times where, like, the, the people are freaking out because they get away and there's, like, two zombies charging them. So, I mean, but I like that aspect of it because it's something you don't have in any other zombie game right now. And while it's played out, there's still so much more that can be done with it that hasn't even gotten touched. And it's just, to me, it's only certain aspects of it that have been played out, right? See, what what, what I think that they got that Valve didn't get and a lot of other devs didn't get is that what's frightening is not cresting a hill and seeing... 200 zombies staggering towards you what's scary is being in a closed off building with the lights flickering or not working and you got a flashlight and one motherfucker is in there coming after you (laughs) and he's somewhere and you can hear him shuffling and you can hear something and then when you turn around he's there that's scary that's what they're doing in here. We saw that several times in the uh, in these videos here, and and it's like, yeah, that's gonna stop your heart right there. I, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I just want, I just hope they avoid uh, Dead Islands problems. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they, if, if that I'm was stabbing, a wake up call if I'm to most people. Stabbing a guy with, with a knife and the knife breaks before I kill him, I don't 
one even want to know. Yeah, I don't think we have to worry about that. This hatchet's <laughs> breaking awful easy. How did they ever use this to cut up meat? Which is funny because a certain somebody in our audience is currently playing that game while listening to our show, Prince. You know what, dude? I was looking at that on sale, and it was like nine ninety nine. I was, I and I was thinking, even. I was thinking, I still not even it. low enough. No. <laughs> it would have to drop even more. When it gets to be two bucks, it's only a matter Actually, of it, it, it would have to get below that because. Kotor was on sale for two fifty, and I bought that. Well, that's a that was my game, first though. official sale, Steam purchase, by the way. Usually, my Are wife buys them. Oh man, that it, my those... wife has had a Steam account for like four years. I have never bothered because I never needed it. The Steam sales go on, and our family is like, oh dear lord. <laughs> My son and I are checking every day. We're checking during the day at all the, you know, sales that are popping up. It's like, oh man, we we forked over a lot of cash to Valve. A lot of cash. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the Darksiders 2 information that we got. Because and see, I'm really glad that Vince is not here. Because I really liked what I saw here. <laughs> and I was like, damn. I might buy this game. And oh, okay. they're, they're slapping in a lot more RPG things where you are actually going to level up, where you're going to be able to get a lot of variety in terms of the weapons that you have. Dude, the possessed weapons yes. that you feed it other weapons. Oh. That, that was by far the highlight of the new information for me. When they're that... sitting there talking about how many, like, you know, hundreds or thousands of weapons you have that they're going to be in the game. And then they talk about the possessed weapons and that, oh, yeah, you know, no, you level it up. You level it up by feeding it other weapons what? that you no longer want to use. And it, it pulls up in an interface where it says sacrificial weapons. <laughs> I was I mean that's unbelievably cool awesome yes it that's was a, that's a good solution to the what you do with your old weapons idea yep. I'll tell you that exactly yep. I, w I wish I wish other games had something like that because there's some things I'd like to you know not necessarily sell but feed into an ultimate weapon come on that was... and I like the fact that there's a talent tree as well yes then well, get... it's it's good because again, you're going to have that variety in terms of like they were saying how you want to play your character. Between that and the weapon system that they're implementing, we're going to have a lot more choices in terms of how we want to go about killing shit. Closer to uh, how you want your character to look, how you want your character to play, and when you find something you really love, you can keep using it throughout the rest of the game, which is I think very important because a lot of times, uh, and I always had this problem with Fantasy Star Online. I would get this awesome weapon. And I'd love the hell out of it. And then I would out-level where I could use it or be effective. So I'd have to dump it and get something else. And it made me sad because there was one point where I got a super rare or super rare double brand lightsaber. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. And then three levels later, it was no longer effective and I had to get rid of it. Here, it's like I could just feed it other weapons and it keeps <laughs> going with me. Yes. All right. From there, let's move on to Ultima forever. Uh, Matthew, you were pretty excited about this. I'll let you tackle it. I don't even know if I'm excited about it so much as I'm fascinated with the idea of them finally trying to bring back Ultima as a single-player game. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys know about the Spoonie Experiment site, or if you ever watch his reviews of the Ultima games. Nope. But he, uh, I, I played Ultima back in the day. We're talking way back in the day now. It's been, so it's been, did I. Yeah, so did I. And uh, one of the things he talked about was how you know Ultima 9 just kind of came along and took a huge steaming dump on the Ultima franchise. Uh, and I, I've, I not played that game. I played most of the up to, I think played up to pagan and that's as far as I got, but you know, everyone knows about Ultima online being like one of the first MMOs. It's, it's been a huge franchise for years. And the idea of Bioware doing Ultima 
It's like, say what you want about Bioware, but hits and misses aside, this is a company that knows RPGs mm-hmm. inside oh, yeah. and out. Yep. This is like a company that has, they have perfected the modern RPG. For better or for worse, the modern Western-style uh, fantasy RPG and the modern Western-style you know, space action one is their invention. And now you're giving them the the franchise. It's like saying, here, here is the first computer role-playing game franchise. What are you going to do with it? And it's going to be a free-for-play game. See, it's what... going to be this weird single-player, free-to-play, unlockable thing for, like, iPads. <laughs> you know? I'm, like, sitting there I'm, going, I'm what? excited about that one. I just... The very idea of it, it's going to be for the iPad and PC. It's going to... You know, I'm hoping eventually it'll hit other tablets as well. Like, you know, I'd like to see it for the Surface. Uh, it's not an MMO. It's got a lot of players, but it's not MMO. It, it's like, what is this thing you're doing? What do you... what? And having Bioware do it, they, they make up, there's a quote in one of the stories here. Uh, I want to say it's like, we look at it like how Peter Jackson had to reimagine Lord of the Rings for the screen or how Christopher Nolan had to reimagine Batman. We're not going to please everyone, but hopefully when players finish kicking the tires, they'll come back and they'll say, okay, that's pretty cool. Now, I'm sitting thinking, thinking, you have to reimagine Ultima for the PC? It was, a, yeah. it's a computer game, but at the same time, it's a computer game from a long 15 time ago. years ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing so, with Bioware too is that, yeah, there are hits and misses, and there are things that they continue to do wrong, and sometimes in their sequels and whatever. But they learn from their mistakes still, and they are not worried about taking, you know, the the opinions of their gamer base and then trying to improve upon their games later on. I I have faith in them in that regard. I mean, if you look at when Swotar came out and the problems that were inherent in the game, considering how little time the game has been out and how many patches that they've put out for free, changing tons of things and improving everything, they are not afraid to work with their gamer base and they're not afraid of improving their own games so giving them an ip like this to work with i i'm really looking forward to this as well i'm you know these are the guys that made Baldur's gate yeah you know yeah. these are the guys that made you know i'm one of the few people i know who says right now that i think dragon age 2 is an amazing game if you get all the dlc it's the best rpg of its type that's come out in five years i disagree but... if if you get all the dlc yeah, I... because you have to play it the problem is that act three completely falls apart Act 3 is my biggest problem with Dragon Age 2. There's stuff like the repeating scenes, like, you know, you're in the same cave over and over again. I'm okay with saying that that's a problem for me. But for me, the real problem is if you just have Dragon Age 2 and you don't have anything else, you get to Act 3, you get your magical um, champion armor, and the entire world falls apart at that moment. And there's, like, no denouement. There's no plot. There's no anything. Act 3 is just like a skeleton. Yeah, but see, we've discussed this before, too, where if a game requires you to have oh, no, no, no. You're the totally DLC, right. I'm, then I'm not we've got a problem. That, I'm not arguing that you should have had to get all that DLC. And I still think to this day, and I have no way, no way to back this up, but I still think to this day that the reason that the first DLC, the Dragon Age Legacy that comes out, the reason it is so huge and complete is that it was supposed to be Act 3. And they, they couldn't get it ready in time, and they, and they released the game without it. I and I'm not arguing that that makes it oh, a good game. Oh, they rushed it out. Yeah, that was yeah. obvious. That's my thing. I, I'm still saying that the experience of playing Dragon Age 2 with the full DLC pack is a superlative one. That does not mean it should have had been released that way. Nor am I arguing that it should have been released that way. I think though, if you can get, if you don't, if you manage to divorce yourself from that that situation, the game itself is good. I and I think it's it's much easier to play than Dragon Age. 
yeah, much easier. I don't to play. know about that. In terms of story I, wise, I've gone back and played them. Is the thing I've gone back and played Dragon Age after playing Dragon Age Two, and it is almost impossible. It's much harder on an, on the Xbox than on a PC. On a PC, it's a lot easier. Yeah, well, see, PC, I played them on PC. Jump. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. oh, yeah. I've gone back Xbox, and played. Yeah, no, I see again. It's 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 a matter. It's subjective, of course. So, yeah. but there are a lot of elements, not just in terms of reusing assets and stuff like that, but also just story wise. There are aspects of Dragon Age Two that I did not think were as weak. Now that said, I've also said there were parts that were, I. There was a part in Dragon Age 2, and I mentioned this in, before on the podcast too, where my jaw literally dropped. Yeah. That, and, and that doesn't happen in games anymore, and it's it, it's a cliche kind of thing, but when you're actually watching something and your jaw drops a little bit, not <laughs> involuntarily, and you're like, holy crap, that is when you know they did something special. And they did that, but yeah. there wasn't nearly enough of that, and there were far too many problems otherwise I, that I found. I also think that one of the things about that, and I think I know what the point you're talking about, but I'm not going to say it just in case, you know, if someone's going to go play it, they don't want to spoil for them. But I think that's something they also tried to do with Mass Effect 3, where they were trying oh, to go for that jaw drop moment at the end. Yeah, we're not going into there. Yeah, let's not go into there. <laughs> At any rate, I, <laughs> I think going back to Ultima, in a way, is almost like EA apologizing for the Maybe. last Ultima game. Because the last Ultima game, it literally is a giant steaming dump on the franchise. It's it's And you, you know, this is long established, Garriott had almost nothing to do with it. They effectively took the game away from him and rushed it out the door. Like in, which is something EA yeah, really but, has a problem with. And that's what we're going to see with them doing with Bioware here. And yeah. Bioware fails when they are rushed. We can look yeah. at Dragon Age 2 that came out like months after Dragon Age was out kind of deal. And then we can look at Mass Effect 3, which was not done. They rushed it. And that's why Plus, we got that crap-ass the, ending. The crap-ass ending also has to have something to do with the leaks. Well, that Mass I mean, Effect there's, story leak did not help. There, there was a lot of reasons, but not the least of which being that they were rushed. So if the same thing happens here, because otherwise, I mean, Mass Effect 1, 2, just before the end of 3. Yeah. You can't. <laughs> Up until you move into that yeah, last mission. You I'm, can't top coming it. Coming off the collector station. I mean, coming off of the server station. I'm loving this game. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so I'm with you from beginning to end. Yes, there are a few points here and there that could have been better, but that's like that with every game. But up until then, you're going like, these guys are the kings of storytellers. Oh my God, what the hell did you guys do here? <laughs> what is this? Why, why is there crap on the floor? <laughs> you know what I think the problem is too, though? I mean, Bioware's kind of set themselves up a little bit like the M. Night Shyamalan's of video games. Not that they've had as many strings of bad stuff, but that first twist ending they did back in KOTOR... When you did, when you played the first time you played Knights of the Old Republic, and you get to that point where the the secret is revealed, so to speak, and they have that video where they take you through everything and step by step show you everybody was giving you clues the whole time. Did you catch it? Because here's this clue and here's that clue, and you say to yourself, "Oh, I didn't. Holy crap, you got me." Yeah, I, that was I, such I don't a know big about moment. That. It was a pretty big moment. Oh, no, no, I know that, but I don't know that they set themselves up for failure after that, like Shyamalan. It's not that they set I mean, themselves up for failure like Shyamalan. I'm just using it as an example. I'm yeah. a little hyperbole, but nevertheless, the the idea is, like, sometimes it feels like Bioware tries too hard to pull that rabbit out of the hat again. True. 
Sure. Yeah. Very well. Hell, we saw the we saw that a lot too in uh, Swotor. I mean, a yeah. lot of the class stuff that you're seeing in the Old Republic and a lot of the stuff on the planets too. Some of it does feel forced. They're trying too hard. But when they're not, and it's just amazing things happen. That's when you realize that there is still so much talent at oh, Bioware yeah. that when you hear something like this, then yeah, you do have faith in it. I want to see what they do with Ultima really badly because I think to a degree they won't have to they won't have to do all the work because a lot of the setting creation is there ultima exists it's it's sort of like when they did forgotten realms games they did the best forgotten realms games anyone's ever done no one's ever going to top Baldur's gate now There's that being be said did yeah. they announce who is going to be working on the writing team for this I don't think they did yet. No, they because just said they're doing it. Because they've lost some of their writing team now, so I'm curious who they're going to put on this, too. Well, Paul Burnett's going to be involved since he's the creative director for the game, but that's all we know right now. Yeah. I'm curious. Okay, moving away from there, Joe, you wanted to touch on the Unfinished One before we cut out for the night. Yeah, that one is uh, an interesting game, to say the very least. And we've all seen these, these first-person shooters, and there's always uh, something with them, like whether it's you know, Call of Duty or Modern Warfare. This one's a little bit different. It's a first-person painter. Um, and what really is kind of interesting about this is you don't really have a whole, any, like, weapons or anything like that. You're basically exploring the world while throwing paint on a completely white background. Like, you enter into the world, you can't see anything but just white. And you add definition. You uncover things around you by throwing the paint into the world around you. What's cool about this is no two playthroughs are the same. And that is really interesting to me because we hear about, you know, the replayability of the video games and, you know, oh, it's, this is going to be so different. This is going to be so updated. You know, this is going to be, you can play through it, you know, six, seven, eight times. There's an infinite number of playthroughs here. Uh, one of the cool things that, that got me in the article that, we, that was actually on Forbes, of all things, was that well over 100 people have, you know, they, they watched well over 100 people try this game out. And every single person approached it differently, whether it was an eight-year-old that painted a, uh, the room completely black or whether it was people that used it just so often. Everybody had their own different approach to it. And it was just this really beautiful experience. There's some YouTube videos that you can find for it. But it's just – it's really interesting because you essentially are interacting with the world to create the world in this really unique way. But I'm I'm really intrigued about it. It sounds like the kind of game that the fake Peter Molyneux on Twitter would make up and, <laughs> and say he would create. You know what I mean? <laughs> not to not to give Peter Molyneux crap because you know that's that's like Hank picking at some low hanging fruit there. But um, it does. I mean, I'm looking at the article now and it sounds really fascinating. Like the idea of you know discovering the world by coloring it in. I mean, that's that's really interesting. You know what? I'm sorry, but the only thing I can think of is Epic Mickey when I hear that. I but this can't is like think what of Epic anything Mickey else. Should have been. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's not even remotely just based on this like little. Article. No, no, I know, but it's like, yeah, I, it's really not something that interests me at all. I yeah, but say. it's the kind of thing you could play, you know, with people. I think it would be more cool to play with a bunch of people around. Yeah, it. true, true. Yeah, yeah it's a party game. Yeah, you'd have a lot of fun. 
Okay, with that, we're actually going to call it a wrap for tonight. Thanks to everybody who joined us, of course. You can find the show notes at ForTheLore.com and on Twitter at ForTheLore. And any questions or comments, do ForTheLore at gmail.com. Matthew, I want to thank you very much for popping by. As long as we didn't scare you off, we're looking forward to having you back next week as well. We're going to cover a whole bunch of other stuff. And if you guys have any suggestions of things you'd like to put him through the ringer for, email them to me. We'll add them to the show notes. With that, we'll talk to you guys next week. Oh, and actually, pimp your shit. Sites, everything, go ahead. Go for it. I'll splice it in. Uh, okay. Um, well, I, my, my second book is on Amazon right now. It's, uh, it's called Bottled Demon. It's uh, on, in the Kindle store, actually, so you can go look for that. Awesome. My, uh, I, obviously, I work for WoW Insider, and uh, I've got my own website at Matthew Rossi. At, uh, wait, oh, I can't even remember where it is. I actually have to go look it up. <laughs> I don't, you know, I just click on a link. It's yeah, it's Matthew Rossi at WordPress.com, which what? is where I post short fiction and essays and stuff. There's no Matthew.Rossi that you could pick up the domain. I just didn't want to. Really? I I used to have. Here's a funny story. I used to have a website that had the longest <laughs> English title of any website. It was once I noticed I was on fire, I decided to relax and enjoy the fall.com. Are you serious? I, I had that site. You can still <laughs> look it up. Why would you do that to yourself? Because it was the longest title. <laughs> oh, my Nobody God. Nobody forgot it. You know, say what you want about that in SEO. No one forgot once I noticed I was on fire, I decided to relax and enjoy the fall. Uh, and you can still find, like, if you went, if you go into, like, the Wayback Machine, you... You can look like if you'll go like and look at it in 2003, 2004, you can see my site, what it looked like. I had that site for a long time, and and uh, then I I was in a relationship, and then that relationship ended, and I ended up marrying my current wife and moving up to Canada. And I just we didn't have time to maintain the site, so I let it go, and it, it reverted back. You know, it got bought by some company that some poor company that parked one of those stupid ad things on it. <laughs> And I've always laughed at the idea that someone thought they were going to get this site and it would do something for them. <laughs> like, this site's name is, like, literally, I don't think any site has a longer name, period. Unless it's a, some Welsh name that's, like, one word that's, like, 500 letters long. That's you know, hysterical. Not... So, yeah. I didn't know you were in Canada. Where are you? Edmonton. Ah, oh, uh, nice. I'm in Edmonton. I'm yeah. in Ottawa. Uh, I'm sorry for you. Hey. Wasn't it tornado? No, no, because it was tornado season yesterday. Was it really? Oh, we were having that hurricanes explains out it. here. We were having tor- uh, thunderstorms out here so bad that the power went out for like several hours last night. Yeah, the power went out in the, the middle of the night, not last night, but the night before. And then yesterday we had tons of thunderstorms. I was telling Joe that too. Like, it was it was bad. But I it didn't realize bad. there was yeah, tornadoes. It was bad all over Canada. Like, I was looking at the Weather Channel, uh, the Weather Network up here, and I was like, oh my God, just the entire. Well, did Canada say something to you yeah, really? <laughs> And then once we've defeated the United States in the Olympics, we will take you out, God. <laughs> well, will you now? <laughs> <laughs> Please stop challenging God to fights. I'm proud to say that she's my buttercup. I'm in love. I'm all shook up. The Secret World is the latest game from developer Funcom and published by Electronic Arts. It is an MMO action-adventure game that relies heavily on story, plot, and characterization to further it along. In the game, there are three factions. 
There are the London-based Templars, who are pious zealots, who would burn an entire village down to get their hands on one demon. There's the New York City-based Illuminati, who are true Machiavellian pragmatists, who believe that it's a tough world where only the strongest will survive. And the soul-based Dragon, who take a sort of neutral stance between the other two, and are all about deceiving, orchestrating chaos, and waiting patiently for its time. There is actually a personality test to determine the player's inclination towards one faction or another. It's on the official The Secret World site, and is absolutely amazing. And, if I must say so, incredibly accurate. It's very similar to the personality test that we've seen in other games, such as The Wii's Silent Hill. The game is a mix of myth, magic, conspiracies, and Lovecraftian horror, all set into a contemporary world. Basically, players are born into this world in one way or another. Each origin story uh, is something different, whether they're indoctrinated by the church or brought about some spiritual realization through uh, what is people have seen as swallowing a bug, but is actually the activation of your anima. It is a traditional MMO. Some of the questing is a little weird, and it's your stereotypical go here, find this, go here, find that. Things that it differs from other MMOs. There are no classes. As you level up, and you don't actually sort of level by gaining levels, but as you gain experience points, you gain skill points and ability points. You can then spend those to spec your character however you want. Do you want to have a healer that uses blood bubbles to heal everybody around you? Go for it. Do you want to boil people's bloods with the elements? Sure. You want to fight with a katana, shotgun, automatic weaponry? Do you want to summon mechs? Everything you can possibly want is contained in what they call the skill wheel. The skill wheel is divided onto what they call decks or specializations. You can take your ability points and spend them however you want inside of this this ability wheel. There is no set way for you to build your character. You can build it exactly how you want. You want to play a tank? You can play a tank. You want to play a rogue? You can play a rogue. You can do whatever your heart's content. That is really awesome. After you complete a deck, whether which is going down an entire tree and specking fully into something, you get bonuses for unlocking that deck. After that, you can feel free to move on to other decks. So if you want to have a healing set first, sure, you can do that. If you want to do a DPS first, you can do that as well. And you can swap between those abilities on the fly. You can choose your loadouts. So you can choose what abilities you have, what passive enhancements you have. You have literally complete control over your character. You are not locked into any sort of archetype be what you want to be in this modern world. If that wasn't cool enough, while some of the quests may be a little bit wonky, there are other quests that are absolutely amazing. First of all, the starting areas for the game, for the characters, are phenomenal. You do start in a sort of an instance where you learn about your powers and they teach you uh, an idea of what each ability can do. For me, I played as the dragon, the neutral, quote-unquote, neutral faction, the Chaos Theory subscribers. Eventually, I was brought to a dojo, where all of the possible weapon combinations lay out before me. Magic, weapons, everything I could imagine 
just there, waiting for me. The cool thing about these areas, and all three factions have them, is that you can try without committing every single one of them to see what you like the best and what fits you. Then, after you've made your initial choice for your primary deck or your first deck, you speak to the NPC and you're sent on your first mission throughout the world. Now, while there are three factions, that only really comes into play during PvP. You can be in guild, party with, and talk with players from all three factions. There are no restrictions. There are also no server distinctions besides normal and RP. It's a shard system. This world is persistent and all of the players can group together and just experience everything as one. One of the, the main starting areas is King's Mouthport, which is absolutely phenomenal. Also has a ton of tongue-in-cheek humor, such as HP Lovecraft Lane, which was hysterical the first time I saw that on the map. It's just a phenomenal a visual appeal. The layout of it is just like you would see a regular city. There are nooks and crannies. There are places to hide. And it's a town that is overrun by zombies of various types. From your regular homegrown zombies to your umber hulks to wendigos that sit in the hills to flamethrowing zombies to ones that can breathe underwater uh, to basically every possible walk of life. And it's the best introduction that I've seen to everything. You get an introduction to the Illuminati, to the Templars, to the Dragon. You get to see NPCs of all wakes of life everywhere. Now this is where the game really stands out for me, and it's the NPCs. In a lot of games, especially MMOs, the NPCs tend to be throwaways. Not here. Every single NPC you talk with has a very, very distinct personality. They are memorable. You feel for these characters, whether they've lost a loved one, uh, whether they are searching for answers, whether they're fighting against, back against the tide of the undead. Absolutely phenomenal. These characters, the writing is, is just wonderful. And they're fully voice acted as well. So as you're interacting, as you're unlocking cutscenes, essentially, it's just phenomenal. It is stupendous. And that to me is so important because the story is so such a big, big important part of this game that having those NPCs that you just don't throw away, those NPCs that you can't just ignore, those NPCs that you don't want to get rid of, those NPCs that you remember even after you move past the initial starting area make such a big difference. Now the quality of the voice acting is phenomenal as well. Each one of the characters is distinct. You would think that with so many voice actors that there would be some generic overlap. In very rare circumstances, there are. But for the most part, each NPC that deems fit to speak with you or has their own cutscene, or that you interact with more than once, has a very distinct voice. And that was very cool to me as well. Because it wasn't nearly as bland or nearly as... I guess the best way that I could put it would be it's not generic. And this is where Funcom really has done a wonderful job. Because their previous MMOs have been, for lack of a better term, left wanting. Not so here. I find myself really 
drawn to this world. I enjoyed playing in this world and exploring. Going into the hills, going into different areas of the zones that you're in, just discovering everything is fantastic. Now, if that wasn't enough, there are also rewards for finding lore-based objects in the game. Every building, every city, every piece of information you have, everything has a story. And you earn bonuses and skill points and experience points and ability points for discovering the story behind them. For completing optional quests that unlock nothing but lore, that don't give you any items. And to me, that's also a very big selling point. Because right there, you have me. You have me wanting to explore this world. You're giving me a reward for seeing what you've created, what you've wrought with your own hands. I have to give this game absolute praise. It is one of the best MMOs that I have played in a very long time. The story elements for every aspect of your main story and even the subplots are phenomenal. The individual characterizations are phenomenal. The world that they've created is just absolutely mind-blowingly detailed. And while there are some graphic glitches and no game is perfect, the content that is there is so well done that you would do yourself a disservice by not playing this game. I cannot recommend The Secret World highly enough. It is probably the best $50 I've spent in a long time. And even if you're going to just play it for that one month, because it does include it is a subscription-based model, and it does include one month free when you buy it, if you play it for that one month, I guarantee you, you'll be drawn in enough that you will certainly get your $50 worth. So big two thumbs up from me for all the Indiana Jones references, from all the Lovecraft references, from all of the Dreamfall and Anarchy Online references, and from all the jabs that they take not only at themselves as Funcom, but also at EA that are spread throughout this game. Big kudos. And for making a true story-driven MMO that makes you forget about collecting 10 rats. That when you're following a siren song, you could care less that you're going to have to kill 10 zombies. It's just phenomenally done.